Welcome to Brands Made Meaningful, conversations with the team at Susner about how purposeful branding inspires unity, identity, and powerful change for growth-minded organizations. What are we talking about today, Derek? Today, our conversation is about naming. Naming. Naming products. Not children. Not not babies. Yeah. Maybe it is your baby if it is your business or your initiative. But maybe w- coming up with that word or a couple of words that you use to legally, usually legally, name your your organization to identify yeah really uh, naming organizations products programs initiatives there's so many different things that you can name there's brands there's sub brands yeah um, you get into the brand architecture you can oh, get man. tiers into specific services yep um, technologies programs yep we worked with a client that had had a deep brand architecture and one of their one of their challenges was naming products or was it programs and initiatives? Yep. And that was quite the naming process. That was programs and initiatives underneath eight divisions yeah. within one department yep. of this large organization. Yeah, with only internal facing viewership, yep. right? So that's the interesting part about naming is most people think, is like, how can I name my business for um, my customers? And that there's so many different naming conventions that are really important even for internal use for clarification and understanding in that way too. Today though, let's focus on the, the, the umbrella, sort of the top of that brand architecture and look at the parent brand or the parent organization yeah. or the primary business name. I think that's the, this, to simplify it, it's the easiest way to look at naming um, from that convention and going down from there. It's, it's similar process, just different challenges, right? You know, this is interesting, and we can be a little self-effacing here because the name of our business is Susner, which is my last name. Yeah. Because 20-plus years ago, when I started the business, I literally couldn't come up. I, I locked up. I tried. I had lists of names. I still have that list. And I just I couldn't come up with They were either too creative. Oh, when you started. Yep. Yeah. Not descriptive enough. And yeah. I... I, I literally punted. So sometimes when we talk about naming for our clients and people look at our name, they're like, well, you know, you guys just went the easy route. Yeah. Luckily, our, my name's not a common name. And, yeah, it worked out nicely that way. And there's some, you know, it's not the same name as another business in our industry that's doing something similar. But it's tough. It's really, it can be really challenging. And we've even had conversations where you, you say, oh, I kind of want to rename, mm-hmm. I kind of want to rebrand, rename the company because of all of this work we do for other people. And it's like, God, it's inspiring it, it, to see. It would be right to change the name of the company for X, Y, and Z reasons. So we'll get into that a little bit. But um, I want to talk about a little bit why this matters before we talk about how we know we need a new name or even what the name thing or what the problems are. Well, you have a good analogy about yeah. kind of how, you know, like in a, in a nutshell, uh, why does, why does the name of your business matter? Yeah. And I got this from a book, uh, from the author, Eli Altman. We're okay. adding this to our book yeah. club topic list. He, it's actually a phenomenal book about naming. Um, he talks about it. I think he it runs an agency in San Francisco and, this book, the very first part is yeah, your brand's name is really the verbal cover of your book, which I think is a great way to think about this. But whether we admit it or not, everyone judges 
books by their cover. Think of scrolling through Netflix and looking at movies that you're thinking about watching. Some of those design covers are so small that you can't get a sense of what the movie's about from the cover. So you've got three words, four words maybe, to decide whether or not that's something that's going to be relevant to you. Yeah, it's a great way to start thinking about the importance of all of this. To say, if your name is that cover, how are we going to utilize it to introduce someone or at least start the conversation about what the story of this brand really is? And the importance of all of this kind of comes back to saying, this is, this is super important, but it's not easy. This is going to be an impactful thing that your, your brand's going to use to market itself and to really resonate and be recognizable across many different channels. Why would somebody, so somebody who's listening to this, why would naming be relevant to them? What's going on in, that, in a business where they would consider, I mean, it's easy if they're launching or starting, yeah, then gonna, they're starting from scratch. I was going to say, there's two ways to really look at it. It's either they're starting it or there's been a change in either their offering, their corporate strategy, or something around how they're going to grow their business that's made them realign where they're going. Could be a recent merger. Absolutely. coming together and deciding a new name instead of using one of those existing names. Mm -hmm. We talked with a company uh, just this week whose name was chosen specifically because of the industry they were in. And then now, however many years later, they've expanded into all kinds of industries. So they've just shortened name to an acronym or a series of letters that now don't mean anything. Yeah. In that example, they had a name of who they do it for, but not what they do. Right. Which made it really hard for them to have a name that stayed with them and stayed relevant for a long time especially as the who they do it for expanded and changed exactly so and and even it's tricky to do uh if you narrow down too much to say our name is just our flagship product that can really kind of pigeonhole you too because you're going to come up with more products and services as you go that'll expand change um and shift based on the growth strategies that you have so it's really important when we're looking at this, either from a someone who's launching a brand new naming project or a brand new brand versus someone who has one today and they're not happy with it, these it kind of comes back down to that same process. We'll go through that process a little bit, but why don't you talk about what happens if we don't deal with this properly? What, what are some of the things that someone would see and say, oh man, I'm just having this problem with naming? Yeah, one of the most common ones that we hear is our name just doesn't resonate. Or even worse, it confuses. So when I introduce myself from company X to uh, anybody, networking event or a prospective employee or prospective customer, and then that name, hi, I'm Derek and I'm from company X. And the worst case is it causes confusion. You know, maybe the second worst is it's just so ambiguous or vague that it just doesn't it doesn't mean anything and it doesn't stand anything and it doesn't further that conversation about your brand. Yep. I think the most common challenge that clients come to us with is it doesn't help us tell our story. Yep. It doesn't like to your point, it doesn't help us communicate who we are, but it really doesn't help us when we say, Hey, I'm from X and someone goes, what does that mean? And you explain it and they go, Oh, okay. 
Right. Um, and or your salespeople are super uninspired about what the name is. And they are almost borderline embarrassed to say this is where I work um, because that name is so. Yeah, I mean, it could be a, na a name that was named after the founder or the string of founders. And sometimes those founders aren't even aren't even with the company anymore. They've sold or moved on. We even have it to where people can't pronounce it. Yeah, absolutely. Or another like, one is if your name is a the word that you use, like here in the Twin Cities, the word Viking. We worked with a company recently that yeah. had the word Viking in the name. And because of our professional sports team here locally, we did a little bit of research. And at a glance, there are hundreds <laughs> of companies yeah. in this region with the word Viking in their name in some way. Absolutely. I think, I think there's a little bit of market saturation too that goes into it where people don't realize that the reason why you think it's such a good name and it was so easy to come up with is because it's being used a lot. Right. It's, it's an easy solution. And some of those were, were chosen, I think, before the, the real prominence of the internet came and finding URLs and, and or they're picking names that today we, you'd never be able to trademark. Them. Yeah. The word heartland is another one that's in yeah. all kinds of businesses. In the Midwest. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll just recap there quick. It doesn't resonate. It's not reflecting on really what you do anymore or who you are or what you stand for. It doesn't help you tell your story. It doesn't stick out in the marketplace. It doesn't do any justice to salespeople trying to sell your product or service because it's just generic. It doesn't and help you stand else? out differentiate yeah maybe even confuses people so then how do we approach naming here yeah there's three there's an approach that we use just to establish three parameters three pillars that we customize to each specific client so that it's the the it's not boilerplate once we drill down because the solution is going to be unique based on each individual client's needs but the first one, so we, there's three categories or three pillars that, that we tend to work from. There's a must. Yep. This name must do X, Y, and Z. And so these are the rules or the requirements that this name and this initiative has to achieve. And the goal for that is to then understand what's going to work and what's not going to work, not to put preferences to things. When, when you're saying that, it's, it's not saying, oh, I don't like names like this. Right. That's not a part of the must category. The must category would be something like, if your salespeople have determined that it has to be an English word, that is a requirement. That's not a preference. Yep. Um, just because of the nature of your business, you have to communicate it like this. What's the next one? Second one is the category that we call embrace. So after the must category, it must do this. Now, these are the the tenants that we're encouraging ourselves to really consider these specific things. And I think what draws to the top of that list of embraces is what we would call the brand foundation or the guiding principles of, of the company that we're working with. Yeah, I think that this piece really is filled out through the pieces that precede the work we do with naming it's really understanding the position of the brand really understanding the reasons why we're here and the story we're really trying to tell once we figure those things out we can fill out that embrace column pretty easily and this is where a lot of the inspiration really comes from yeah i mean to to know what the 
the why of a company is, what their purpose is, and the mission of what they're really trying to achieve, even to understand their the core values of the team and their culture, all can be really inspirational going into this uh, naming concept phase. Yeah. So then the third one, what's the last one? The avoid. Some For some businesses, it might be um, to avoid something being trendy. Another business might, the, the embrace might be trendy. So it's to determine specifically for that client and that specific organization um, what the avoids are. Yeah, I think this is where we really look at the market and say, what are competitors doing? What is their name? How is that resonating, not resonating? How can we stand apart from them? I think the biggest issue a lot is that people like trendy names, like names that don't have vowels in them um, is a good example and saying, oh, I really like how they did that. And that opens the door for a lot of legal standpoint because it's not spelled the same or stuff like that or URLs. But I think that that's a trap that a lot of people fall into that maybe in 10 years will look totally out of place and look very dated. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of examples that I'm just not thinking of right now of 80s and 90s names that are just, they just look so out of date right now. Yep. Um, you can even see things from not too long ago with I in it. Um, and some, that works for some I people. I an iPhone. Yeah, like yeah, iPhone trend. or iFix yep. and stuff like that to, to resemble internet. Yep. work i heart that that seems to starting to come out of date a little bit um unless there's a really deep reason for that name it's it's mainly just a trend so we have a process that we go through and i don't necessarily want to bore everybody yeah. with the specific <laughs> say eight steps that we go through in a name but i think there's a couple highlights that come out of the overall process that we go that would be really helpful for people to be considering. So if somebody's working with an agency or a firm or even trying to DIY this naming process themselves, there's a couple things that they want to make sure that they're they're aware of and they're thinking about. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's a little heavier on some than others. I think when you said it's an eight-step process that we take, step one is this blue sky concepting how can we take these musts embrace and avoid categories and really come to the table with bucket of really great names that could that could work based on what we've talked about um and at this point we don't necessarily hone it in by saying these are usable at this at this stage but we want to get as many great names as we possibly can so that we can start picking at the list and going, well, why does this one resonate? And why does this one work? And so starting to even more refine those, those pillars that you mentioned is we can keep adding to the musts and embrace and avoid pillars once we do concepting because you'll, you'll start getting this feel for it once you move through that. Yep. And people ask us sometimes, well, how many names do you concept? I get that question a lot. And we do it until we have a solid foundation of names that, are, that it really helps us understand. If, if we don't resonate with a name, then it's not, we're not going to use it. It's off the table, so right. we don't even count it. You're talking about having a, a, a batch of names yep. that, in our, that have passed our internal test, that have passed the must, the embrace, and the avoid, um, and in our minds feel in line with the the way that this brand wants to be perceived. 
Yeah, and I think that there's two ways to look at that. We we can we can sit there and say, oh, well, we might be wasting time because the first one was really great and it's going to pass all of the legal inspection. It's usable and we're good. But there's also this sense of being able to test names against each other to say which one resonates, which one of these is better for the brand and for the brand moving forward. And that gives us this really strong validation for what names work and which names don't work. And then makes us more confident once we actually get into the legal checking of it and then present it to clients. Yep. So concepting is what I would call blue sky. That's the blue sky stage where we just anything and everything, no idea is a bad idea as long as it leads in with these must embrace and avoid categories. So then after that, we do a pretty thorough search um, through the web when it comes through social, other Google. websites. Yep, Google it, um, use Bing. But what we don't start with is we don't hop on the web URL providers and start searching URLs right away. No, URLs is the last thing that we do. We've, uh, we've come across URL, like perfectword.com absolutely was available, but we then found out because, you know, maybe we searched that first instead of second, we then found out that that word wasn't available and had already been trademarked and patented. It's just happened that that company didn't buy that.com. Yeah. And if you, if you look uh, at a lot of big brands nowadays, there's, there's a lot of great things that they can do, especially at a size that they don't necessarily get their one, one brand name.com right away. Almost. And, well, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but having word.com is becoming harder and harder to secure. Absolutely. Unless you have the finances to really to secure it, yeah, to acquire it from somebody else. I think there are many, many, many brands that utilize maybe their name plus what they do as their .com. I know right now Tesla is Tesla.com, but it used to be the Tesla car company. Hmm. It used to be TeslaMotors.com. And it used to be the idea is like, oh, yeah, well, that works because that's what we do. And now they do much more than that. So they acquired the Tesla.com. But um, from a standpoint of the clients that we work with, it's absolutely the last thing you do because you would hate to get into the URL space and say, we picked our brand name for the future of this company, for the future of this product because the URL was available. That's not a right. good rationale. Right. We should really pick the right name and then discover what URLs are available to us and pick the right one from that. Well, the social media search is something that I think a lot of people don't realize is, could be a critical step. We've come across lifestyle businesses that were promoting themselves on Instagram or Pinterest. Yeah, there's, there is a critical piece into looking at social because social will give you a cue into some people that might have trademarks in there already. And what they're selling their services for gives you a good idea of where you might come across a legal standpoint. But I, when you look at social media, I look at it same as URLs. We can always have a different handle mm -hmm. that expands upon it. We don't have to have our one name handle as our social media URL. That's towards the end of the list. So if we get to, um, once we concept, that really next step is to do a, a high-level web search. Because that'll also cue us into... Not the URLs, but really the legal position that some people are taking based on what they're selling and to who. And I think the critical step is then going on USPTO.org, um, US Patent Trademark, Trademark Office.org, Office. yep. figuring out what 
legal classes your specific business lives in yep. and to do a search through that. Even an initial, you can at least on your own do an initial knockout. If you search. don't know what legal classes you are in, it is a simple conversation with uh, an attorney and they'll probably be able to identify it really quickly. Or you can even look up the legal classes in the USPTO and it, it'll explain what each one is. Um, so you can get a really good idea of where you sit in there. And so what we do, we're not lawyers by any means, but we found that the most surefire way to get to a good name that will most likely pass inspection is for us to do a sweeping USPTO search uh, on that brand name and pull out anything at all that res that that has the similar name or uses it in the same fashion um, under any class, and then also cross-reference that with the classes that we believe we're in. And normally we talk with our legal partner to say, hey, these are the classes we're searching for. And they'll give us a, yep, that makes sense. This is the legal reasoning for that. Or they might lead us into a different class and say, hey, you might have better luck in X class because that'll be easier for you. It's also why some companies have opted to get creative with their names and take the vowels out or use made up, totally made up names because you're you it may be easier for you to trademark that word than a what we would call a natural word like a an english common word mm -hmm. that everybody is already aware of is going to be much more challenging so there's a difference between a made up word and a non vowel word because a non vowel word let's take the word movement and you take all the vowels out of it and it still sounds like movement so from a legal perspective, at least from where our legal team has advised us on, um, on past projects is, it doesn't really matter. If there's a brand named movement doing the same thing that you're trying to do and you're a brand named movement with no vowels, right. there's still confusion in the marketplace. And that confusion is a key part of that legal precedence. If there's confusion in the marketplace, you most likely have no legal precedence so to there, use it. There might be a name that you land on that actually isn't taken. But it's so similar to a name that is taken and that's already been established that your name would cause confusion. If there's any potential confusion from a prospective consumer, it's quite likely that they're not going to let your name pass. And this is where we need to have a trademark attorney in on one of these conversations. I think the next time we talk about this, that'd be a great option because there's still gray area in there because it could be one letter off and the word might be different. But there might be a little bit of confusion for some people. As long as there's a legal argument against there's no confusion, then normally our attorney would say you have moderate or severe a level of risk. And yep. we're comfortable or not very comfortable taking that risk and fighting it if if ever they were to come back to us. So we can and the we can get into that another time. I think it's that's a long, long path of saying how do you trademark something? Um, but once we get that oversweeping search of the USPTO from our mind we don't have the legal do their in-depth search quite yet we we then do a URL search based on that once the ones come back that we say he these 10 are fantastic names we didn't see anything on USPTO based on our legal advice from what classes we should be searching on and so we do a URL search on that and say here are the top URLs that we can secure today if wanted to, and we do a high level social media search on what handles we could also secure. Then we present that to the client. So before you get presented anything, 
you're only looking at names that we feel that there are a pretty high level of confidence yep. that we could give this to legal. They would be agreeing upon it and we would move forward. And the only time that we've had problems with that is when, or not problems, but challenges with that is when we're dealing with brands in highly, highly competitive spaces that have, like you mentioned a long time ago, they have a lot of lifestyle brands like clothing, apparel brands that can make it difficult because someone could be using a name and they could have very, very small amount of sales, a very, very small organization. But since they're using it, they legally have the right to have that name. Yep. Um, they could come after you. So I think it's interesting when we look at the nuances of that. So if somebody's considering, let's say they've just merged and you've got two organizations that have come together and they've determined that neither of the existing names for this organization as a whole are valid for a variety of reasons going forward. What are, what's, what's something that the people within that organization that might help them, that might guide them in sitting down and starting to think about what a brand new name might be purposefully besides just, you know, you said earlier, to be purposeful over preference. And there is a preference because in the end, you're going to want to like, you're going to want to like your name. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's, we do everything with the mindset of purpose over preference, but when it comes to anything, we're not naive to say that people's preference is not in play. Right. There's also a little bit of a, if you don't like it, it's going to be really hard to sell it. But at the same time, it's really hard to sell it if there's no rationale behind it. And what you like might not be what your customers like. So keeping that in mind, there's a little bit of gray area in there. But the first thing that someone can do, if they, let's say the, what you said, a merger, there's two companies merging. What I would say the first thing that they should do is they should master and articulate their position. They should understand how they want to be perceived. And if they're utilizing either of the first two acquisition names, either of the merged names, if that comes into play with their position, whether one of those brands had a really great position beforehand, I'd consider some of those things and say, does someone have more equity and why is there equity in it? What do we mean by position? By position is what, what you stand for, what you, how you represent, how you want to be perceived in the market, what your offering is comparatively to other people's offering. It's really the position is how you corner yourself. How, what's your unique angle at the sales or, um, I keep going back to what's your position? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? <laughs> yeah, it's what you do, but what do you do in a unique way that yep. resonates differently? What, yep. And that, so that position, so positioning and understanding your positioning and even how you describe and articulate and verbalize your positioning, yeah. critical, critically inspirational to guiding yeah. that naming process. Yep. And, I, and I think that your first decision is, do we want to keep one of these names? Do you want to do a word smash and take the two names? We feel like there's equity in both of them and make one name out of the two of them. Does that help you tell your story? Does that help you do that? Or do you come up with a completely new name? And I think those are your three options is to figure out if you want one, you want to smash them, or you want to give them a completely new one. And that's a separate podcast. I think the pros and cons of those three approaches Absolutely. and the what are the challenges that come with each? What are the opportunities that come with each? That's a separate conversation. It's yeah, too long for this. but. Then once you've decided which direction you're going to move in, and maybe this is a part of that direction too, 
is figuring out what business you're really in or what we're saying is what is your story your brand story yeah if you can understand what your sto- the story you're trying to tell and the heart the core of that story it makes it really easy to one make that decision of saying okay we have these decisions on the table this is the way we're going to go because maybe this name doesn't really resonate this doesn't tell our story and the smash name doesn't maybe tell our story either so we're going to go with a new one and if you go that route and understanding what story you're, you're really telling or what we would say the business that you're really in, then it makes it way easier to start really forming this opinion on what can be right and what can be wrong and putting rationale behind it. So that's what I would say. That's your first step. And then from there, it's I would do what I would do first is I would do a competitive reconnaissance or recon on the names in the market. Who are the people we're competing against? What are they doing? Um, do they use an acronym for their name? What's going to help us? Do we do that same thing? If we're X, Y, and Z company and they're ABC company, that's probably not going to work out. If we're both using that same thing, we should probably readjust. Uh, that, that really goes a long way to validating your position one, but your direction another way. And you're differentiating. Exactly. And so if you can do those first two steps, then it gives you a little bit of clarity on what's going on. And then you can also have an idea of why the names, say you're doing this internally, why those names aren't resonating. Well, do they tell the story that you're really trying to tell? Do they help you communicate what you're trying to communicate? And if they don't, well, then there's your answer. If they do, then is it because everyone else is using that same name system? So there's a lot of things at play here. But I think when it comes down to naming... The hardest part is being really close to the sun too. When when you're doing this and you're doing all the naming and and let's say they're doing it internally and you're leading that approach and you're a leadership and you're a part of the leadership team, there's a little bit of you're got the blinders on. You're trying to figure this out and you're just struggling with it. And there that's that's hard. Yep. And we've even had leadership teams where we do this and we do this for six rounds because it's like we just can't get it right. So we have to bring in other leadership. To, for additional perspective for a yeah, completely fresh view on it and that has gathered great returns on what happened i mean even a project last year when we worked on it we we were down probably four or five rounds of naming put it in front of additional leadership people and out of that came that's the right name right yep. there why aren't you that's the right one why aren't yep. you picking that one and it's like well yeah it's a great name but what about this one they're like no 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 that one that first one is the right one that says exactly what we do and who we are and the story we're trying to tell and i think that that comes from being too close to the sun t- sometimes yep one other piece i would layer on top of this is and this gets i don't want to get into the weeds of our own process but figuring out as part of a brand foundation one of those key steps is to clarify how you want people to think of you how do you what what your organization not not necessarily your name but how do you want people to associate the experience of you your business and working with you yeah and if you can come up with that list of five or six adjectives or characteristics that describe that experience then make sure that the names that you're concepting support or are supported by when i say we just came up with name x does name x represent these characteristics does it stand for this and it'll help you from throwing darts absolutely and i think throwing darts is the most common way people try to name something is what can we think of a cool name and let's just throw some darts out there and see what happens and i think that's super easy but it's almost not helpful and i would also i would say give encouragement that the name doesn't 
It is critical, but it doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting. Your name will ultimately be supported by potentially a tagline that then helps tell me a little bit more. It might very likely be supported by visuals and other components of that. And that's another, that's another conversation. Absolutely. It's like, it's the, just because it's the cover of the book doesn't mean the book can be crap. Right. Right. So it's absolutely matters. Your name is super critical to all of this, but so is the meat of that book. And you can have a bad name. You can have a bad cover of the book, but you can have a great book and people will buy it. People will love it. Makes it harder to sell the book. Exactly. It makes it harder to sell the book. But that the internals is what really sells that book. So like you said, it's not, it's not the end of the world to have a bad brand name, but it makes it a lot easier to be successful if you have a good one. Okay. All right. Until next time. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Susner is a branding firm specializing in helping companies make a meaningful mark guiding marketing leaders who are working to make their brand communicate better, stand out, and engage audiences to grow their business. For more on Susner, visit susner.com.